that you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 5 through 25 this morning as we begin this Advent series we've titled Waiting for Christmas. Today we look at a coming prophet, coming prophet in John who will be the forerunner to Jesus the Messiah. This time of year, uh, the two common idioms find their way uh, into my mind. Uh, The first one, not so much because it's this time of year, but because it's related to the second. The first is that dog is man's best friend, and we uh, know that in our family. We have a new best friend in Barney, and, uh, and he has been a good friend to us. Dog is man's best friend, but... Uh, apparently the world in which we live thinks that woman has uh, another best friend and it is not a dog. It is a diamond. Diamonds are a woman's best friend. And someone someone said, amen. And we are, especially this time of year, uh, as we're getting ready for Christmas and, and, and giving gifts and presents, just inundated with jewelry commercials on TV now. Uh, for many multiple jewelry dealers and sellers and all those sorts of things. And everything they seem to be pushing all the time is always diamonds. Diamonds, diamonds, diamonds. As though there's no other precious gem other than diamonds. Diamonds are a woman's best friend. But diamonds are not the only beautiful thing in a jewelry shop. If you were to go to a jewelry store today, maybe at the mall, if you were in the mood to fight the crowds and all of that sort of thing, you would find, if you took some time, many other beautiful, precious jewels there. Rubies, diamonds, sapphires, or I already mentioned diamonds, rubies, sapphires, emeralds, topaz even, my birthstone, which nobody likes, but I think it's fine. Other, other, other items of value and beauty and splendor that are not just diamonds. As we look at scripture and the opening narrative of Luke's gospel as he speaks about the coming of Jesus, especially as we think about waiting for Christmas and and avoiding the the jump straight to the manger and the baby Jesus and the shepherds and the angels and all of that. If we take our time and and work our way through this uh, uh, narrative in Luke's gospel, we will find many other precious jewels that are not necessarily the diamond of Jesus' birth. Now, I'm not, not taking anything away from the birth of Jesus and its significance, but there are several other precious gems in Luke's gospel that we can appreciate as we work our way toward Christmas. In the narrative of the announcement here of John's birth and the verses we'll look at this morning, we find God demonstrating his abundant kindness to a righteous couple as he, in his sovereign goodness, includes them in his plan of redemption. And as we patiently make our way toward Christmas, I hope that as we study this text today that we would stop to celebrate the faithfulness and the kindness of God as he prepares his people for the birth of the Messiah. Let's all stand together as we read and honor God uh, in reading his word. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. There Luke, the missionary companion of Paul and himself a physician, writes this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
But now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things, these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And God bless his church through the study of his word. You be seated. As we look at and celebrate the faithfulness and kindness of God to this dear, faithful couple, I want us to look specifically at just two things in the text this morning. First of all, the couple itself, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at and see the patient trust of a barren couple. The patient trust of an old couple unable to have children. Luke tells us first that they were childless. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a day and a time in a culture where having children was expected for married couples. The Bible is peppered with statements about the blessing that children are to a married man and woman. But children are never spoken of by God as a status symbol or as a moral obligation. You don't have to have children or be married to be a good Christian. Nevertheless, the world in which Zechariah and Elizabeth found themselves did see having children as an obligation to fulfill, and that if a couple could not have children, the culture in which they lived would often assume that there was something morally wrong with them, that they were living in sin in such a way that God was punishing them with barrenness. Either they were sinning and not having children, or they were being punished with childlessness for a sin they had committed, many would have thought. This patient, barren couple were childless. We know also from what Luke says that they were old. Add to their childlessness that they were advanced in years and and well beyond the age of bearing children. In this way, our, our friends Zach and Ellie are another sort of Abraham and Sarah, having prayed their whole married life for children and yet never having been able to conceive. The same social pressures that many face today when it comes to marriage and to family were felt by these two as well, and and maybe even more so. 
When they were young and not yet married, people were probably asking uh, Elizabeth, when are you going to get married, dear? And then at the wedding reception, uh, likely her mother's friends uh, probably started to catch her in the reception line, interjecting things like, well, how many children do you think you're going to have? I know you just got married five minutes ago, but when are you going to start having with the kids, you know? Better get on that quick. A few years down the road, when they hadn't had children yet, weren't able to have children, her neighbors and friends may have started in, do you want kids? And those hesitant questions turn into watchful whispers of gossip. Well, you know, Zach and Ellie can't have kids. And after a good many years, the word about town is, poor, poor Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, they'll never have children. Friends, some of you know the deep pain that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt. You've felt the pressure from family and friends to hurry up and get married and start a family. You've tried to have children and couldn't get pregnant. Or, or worse, you've endured the devastation of miscarriage, maybe multiple miscarriages. Friend, I would hope that you would see that if you are hurting, if you are longing for a spouse or a child that in the history of God's people, you are not alone in that pain. Now, you may pray daily for God to provide these things, a, a, a wife, a loving husband, children. And God may delay in providing like he did with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Or God may not provide at all. But do not let God's delay in providing or decision not to provide keep you from continuing to love and to worship and to obey our good God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless and they were old, but they were righteous before God anyway. Luke tells us in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This statement tells us plainly that their childlessness had nothing to do with unrepentant sin or unacknowledged sin in their life. There was nothing in their lives that was keeping them from a right relationship with God. Now, Zach and Ellie were not sinless, but they were righteous and blameless. The scripture tells us uh, all over the place that righteousness, that is right standing with God, uh, comes always by faith in God and in his promises. Zechariah and Elizabeth had a life like Abraham of believing and trusting in God and all of his promises, regardless of whether they saw the fruit of those promises in their life or not. They were blameless, Luke says, not because they had never sinned, but because their lives were marked by the integrity of recognizing their sin, of repenting of it, of seeking by faith the forgiveness of God, and striving to live in holiness out of love and worship of their Creator. Zechariah and Elizabeth were lacking the one thing that many assumed was the greatest blessing in life, a child. But each of them, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, knew better than that. Are children a blessing? Of course they are. Are they to be valued and loved and protected and desired by their parents? Absolutely. No question about it. But children are never to become our gods. While they are a blessing from God, they are not the greatest blessing God can give. In truth, the greatest blessing God offers to each of us is himself. And Zach and Ellie knew this, and they lived it. Old and barren, 
childless for decades, they patiently trusted that God's provision was right and perfect and good, even if what they wanted for themselves was what God had not yet seen fit to give. As we look at the patient trust of this barren couple, dear friend, be like them and embrace God himself as the greatest blessing in your life. Be like Zechariah. Be like Elizabeth. Old, without all of the the things that everyone in the world told them were the things that they needed to have to be blessed by God. Be like them and see even the the absence of, of things in our life as part of God's good provision and see that God himself is the greatest blessing that you can have. Don't find your contentment in the things that the world can offer. Don't seek for contentment or happiness in in the things of of this world or, or even in wonderful things like children, but find your contentment in knowing and being known by the God who has created you. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, wrote these words, Those who know God have great contentment in God. Certainly this is true of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their contentment to serve the Lord without complaint about their circumstances comes from their deep and personal knowledge of God himself. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter penned a poem entitled, Lord, it belongs not to my care. To express his contentment in God alone above all else. This poem is printed in your worship guide. Let me read it for you. Richard Baxter writes, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share. And this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to welcome endless day? Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that unto God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come, Lord, when grace hath made me meet thy blessed face to see. For if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? Then I shall end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join with the triumphal saints that sing my Savior's praise. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. Friend, is your contentment in life in Christ and in knowing him? Is your greatest joy and happiness in this life in knowing God who created you and sent his son Jesus to give his life for your sins and be raised from the dead? If you're looking for other things for contentment and happiness, you are looking for insufficient things for contentment and happiness. Find first God as the greatest blessing of your life. We see not only the patient trust of an old barren couple, but we see also in this passage as we prepare for Christmas the abundant kindness of a sovereign God. The abundant kindness of a sovereign God. We see it in three ways. First, he promises a son to an old childless couple. God shows his abundant kindness by promising a son to an old childless couple. Zechariah and Elizabeth were themselves an interesting pair. Not only because they were old and childless, but because one was a priest in the temple and the other was a daughter of Aaron, the brother of Moses and first high priest of Israel. This was a priestly couple. 
Zechariah was one of about 18,000 priests divided among 24 divisions that each served for one week twice a year in the temple. Now, the job of these priests were largely custodial and ceremonial. They were cleaning instruments for worship, lighting candles and incense, presenting offerings to the Lord. And here, as Zechariah is serving with his division, he's chosen by lot because there were 18,000 priests. And so they would just throw everybody's name in and, and, and pull a name out when it was the week to serve. And, and that day, it would be that individual's opportunity to go in and to clean off the altar of incense and burn fresh incense inside the altar. Zechariah is chosen by lot to, to do this task that day, probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And there, as he goes in to do his priestly custodial duties, he's met at the altar of incense by the angel, the great angel, the messenger of God himself, Gabriel. Let's be sure to note this morning that angelic visions are not like the cutesy, dreamlike toilet paper commercials that we often see, depictions of angels. These are frightening experiences. Angels are not chubby little diapered babies with undersized feathered wings flitting about like haloed hummingbirds, okay? Do you know why Gabriel says to Zechariah in the temple, do not be afraid? It's because Zechariah is genuinely terrified by Gabriel's mighty and awesome appearance. Gabriel is not a, a, a fat little baby with wings flitting about inside the temple. He is a warrior of heaven, a messenger of Almighty God, a creature made by God to be worthy to serve in any way that the Lord may command. And this Gabriel, who serves and stands in the presence of God, comes to bring a promise from God to this old, childless priest who had been fa- pa- patiently faithful to God all his life. And the promise that he brings? He brings a promise to the son that Zach and Ellie have been praying for for decades. God shows his abundant kindness to this old childless couple by promising them a son. And he's not just any son. God promises him a son who will be a prophet. He promises to Zach and Ellie a son, but he also promises to Israel a prophet. This son will not be any ordinary boy. He will be several things that we see in the text before us this morning. First of all, his name will be John, which means the Lord has been gracious. He will bring joy and gladness to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and many will rejoice at his birth, the angel tells us. Gabriel goes on to say that he will be great before the Lord. Did you know Jesus himself ultimately called John the Baptist the greatest man who ever lived? because of his righteousness and and because of his predestined role to be the Messiah's herald, he will be great before the Lord. Gabriel says that he's not to drink wine or strong drink because he will be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God even from the womb. Interestingly enough, this is a first reference to the Holy Spirit in both of Luke's volumes, the Gospel and Acts. This first reference to the Holy Spirit is significant for the fact that as the Holy Spirit will fill John even from the womb, so also will the Holy Spirit fill all the hearts of those who place faith in Jesus as the Messiah. 
John will not be a member of the new covenant community like we are, but the lifelong presence of the Holy Spirit in his life draws him as close to the new covenant community that any old covenant saint prior to Jesus could ever come. This is a special guy chosen for a special purpose and, and gifted specially by God and his, through his spirit. John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, Gabriel says, and he, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John's entire life will be one of a constant call to faith in God and repentance from sin. We see that illustrated in Luke chapter 3. He does all of this in preparation for the coming Messiah. He's calling people to recognize the sin that is in their hearts, to turn from it and in faith to turn to God, that they might have their own hearts ready to receive the Messiah when he comes. Gabriel says finally that this boy, this baby, this coming prophet will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah. This comment seems to parallel the the eschatological role, the end times role of Elijah from uh, Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. This Elijah or person like Elijah who will prepare the way for the Messiah with power and a call to repentance just as in his earthly ministry he did in the book of Kings. There we read about Elijah, this great prophet of God, whose, whose constant ministry, his, his ongoing ministry was a constant call to repentance uh, for the people of Israel. Stop your sinning. Stop your idolatry. Turn to the Lord in faithfulness. Now, whether John is intended to be this eschatological Elijah is unclear in Luke, but his ministry is in the spirit of that great prophet. And we see that coming through in his message. Repent, turn from your sin, be faithful to the Lord. God has already been a blessing to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but now he blesses them with a son. And not just any son, but a son who will play a pivotal role in God's plan to bring salvation to Israel and to the nations Our friends Zach and Ellie would probably have been elated to have a son who is content to play video games in their basement his whole life, but this sovereign God promises them better. He promises them John the baptizer, cousin to and way maker for the Messiah. God's abundant kindness is evident in his promise of a son, his promise of a prophet, and finally in his provision of a sign. God shows that he is abundantly kind to this couple, in providing them a sign that his promise will come to pass. Now, old Zach, like Abraham, was a bit incredulous that he and his wife could have a son in their old age. And so he asks the angel, Gabriel, how shall I know that this will really happen? Give me a sign. I need, just, just give me something to hold on to until this takes place. Gabriel, you, you know how long pregnancies take. That's kind of a while. So just give me something to hold on to until it happens. What's the sign that he gets? <laughs> Silence. Muteness. An inability to speak. The total inability to use his vocal cords until John is born. Now, 
Of late, I have been struggling personally with, with vocal fatigue. My, my, my voice goes really, really uh, quickly. And I found myself, uh, myself on, on Sunday afternoons and even on Monday mornings with a very gravelly sort of tone to my voice, having to work really, really hard to speak. And I'll tell you what, it's frustrating. But I can still talk. I think about Zechariah here and his total inability to speak. And not just for a day or for a few hours, but for months. Now, the sign of his silence, of his muteness, is in one sense punitive. He is being rebuked by the angel Gabriel because he lacked faith in God's promise. He should have believed Gabriel and trusted wholly and immediately, but he doesn't. And so the sign that he gets is one of total silence. But his muted state is also a provision of God. It's not just a a punishment. It's also a provision. Think about it. Every day for the next 10 months, when Zechariah futilely opens his mouth to ask his wife for a cup of water, he will be reminded of the sun that is coming. Every, Every Sabbath day, when he moves his lips and tongue to pray and to sing to God, but nothing comes out, his silence will remind him of the promise that is being fulfilled in his wife's womb. Each failed attempt to praise God's goodness will be stored up for the day when God fulfills his promise and Zechariah can erupt in public worship of God for his faithfulness as he now holds his promised baby son, John. God shows his abundant kindness to this old couple as as he promises them a son, a son who will be a prophet, and as he provides a sign to, to show that he will be faithful to fulfill this promise. Friends, this morning, I, 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 don't, I don't have a, a tip for you about how to, how to have a better week in light of this scripture this week or, or how to do something better this week. Uh, my call of application to us this morning from what we see in scripture is, I think, bigger and better than that. More than having something to do this week or, to, or a way to think just today, I want us to apply this text in worship today as we see and appreciate the lavish personal blessing of the sovereign God. God could have chosen literally any couple he wanted to be parents to John. And he would would have been right to do so. God gets to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants. Zach and Ellie weren't perhaps the likely couple to raise a prophet. Neither were they somehow more deserving of the honor. But in his wisdom, God chooses this elderly couple who valued God above all else, who trusted God with everything that they had and who trusted God with everything that they didn't have. And he opens the floodgates of his divine blessing to overwhelm this dear couple. When all of your dreams have yet to come true, friend, do you still love God most? Do you still trust that his ways are best? Are your eyes able to see his abundant goodness and kindness to you even when you don't have your dream car or your dream job? Will the love of God for you in the gift of his son continue to be enough for you when you don't have your dream house or your dream spouse? God was more than enough for Zechariah and Elizabeth before they ever had a son. Don't miss that. 
And don't let that fact pass over your heart without causing you to ask if the same is true in your life. God, are you enough for me? With all I have and all I lack, do I want you most? Am I content in you most? At Christmas time, we're so quick to get to the infant Jesus laid in the manger, to rush to the shepherds and the angels and the magi, these diamonds in the treasury of God's word. But sometimes in rushing to the biggest, shiniest jewels in the case, we pass over the smaller and more colorful rubies and sapphires and emeralds that are also on display. These moments of God's work in his word and in his course of redeeming humanity from their sin are beautiful and valuable and precious in their own right. The faithful patience of this old couple and the abundant kindness of God and the way that he he blesses these two is, is a precious jewel in scripture for us to stop and to admire. The shining jewel of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection are the centerpiece of Scripture, to be sure. We take nothing away from that. We, we, we worship God and, and, and worship Christ for all of the splendor and majesty that, that they have and, and, for, and for the wonderful truth that is the gospel. But as we wait for Christmas, friends, let us worship God in all of the color and splendor of His often overlooked but absolutely lavish outpouring of undeserved kindness upon this one old childless couple who despite the reproach of the world were content to have God as their greatest blessing. This morning as we respond in song to God's word, I want us to allow the truth and the beauty of our sovereign God's lavish kindness, his abundant goodness in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life to wash over us. See how good God is today. Just just this morning, let it sit with you. Just steep in it for a minute. As we wait for Christmas, take time to notice the beauty of the lesser looked upon jewels of God's goodness and his kindness and his grace and his generosity. Even to old faithful couples like Zach and Ellie. Let's pray.